Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Welcome to it. Great to have you in on Tuesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is in. We are loaded up, man. Going to be a good show today. Sit in, enjoy next couple of hours. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic will be with us in about 15 minutes. Mitch has a nice story on Luke McCaffrey. His usage as uh, we hope to see Luke and the Nebraska football team on the field. Uh, plenty of thoughts from yesterday on Scott Frost's sit-down with uh, the World Herald and Journal Star and some more insight on maybe what ailed Adrian Martinez for 2019. So Mitch Sherman coming up in about 15 minutes. YouTube Tuesday, we've done a lot of Nebraska-Colorado games no game arguably was louder. There was more bloodlust in the stands than 1992. Nebraska, Colorado, Halloween night. Well, Halloween. I think kickoff was at 1.30, but it was 50 degrees. It was misty. And uh, it was all Nebraska that Saturday, 52-7. to seven. Stopped Colorado's 25-game unbeaten streak in the Big 8 and kind of reclaimed the throne for Nebraska with those legendary... And Nebraska hadn't beaten Colorado since 1988. They lost a tight one in 89. Enemy went off in 90, and then the Snowball Fest in 91, where Bennett's lined up, and the Colorado student section had better arms than arguably, or more accurate arms than the Colorado quarterback. And I love Darian Hagan, great ball player. But, yeah, that was a 1919 frozen night game in Boulder. Well, welcome into 92, and Nebraska assorted their authority. John Perella, former Nebraska assistant. John Perella, former standout with Oakland and San Diego and the Bills. John Perella, the man in the middle of that 92 black shirt defense. He'll be with us for a couple of segments in the 5 o'clock hour. Jacob Padilla, great feature and right up on uh, Garrett Nelson, the outside linebacker. As uh, Jacob looked at some of Nelson's tape, we'll spend a few minutes on the outside linebacker spot, and uh, Jacob Bedilla will break that down with us at 540. You can join us, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Those are the numbers to get in. You can find us and follow us. On Twitter, at Schmidt underscore radio for Chris Schmidt. At Damon Barr, that's two R's for Damon Barr. And uh, always follow ESPN Lincoln and at Hale Varsity. Can email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. So I'm going to start off with uh, a little bit of TV news. Just real quick, because this is one of my favorite shows. It's top three uh, between Peaky Blinders, uh, Ozark, and Breaking Bad. I never thought I'd see Mad Men slide down the rankings, but they have. But Netflix announcing that Ozark is going to end a two-part final season 
14 total episodes. And as Jason Bateman says, it will go out with a bang. So I'm going to go spoiler here because I have no inside info. And is it one of these things like the gangs of New York where everybody dies? I mean, does does the cartel blow up Marty? Does Marty blow up the mob? Does the mob blow up the cartel? Kind of a, a, a merry-go-round of carnage. It would be fitting to Ozark. Some people can't get into it because it's too dark. But I think in, in episode two, the moment Jason Bateman told his wife, the uh, the sound of your dead lover hitting the pavement is, is the only thing that helps me get to sleep at night before she smacked him. I lost it. His dry wit. The, the one guy in the world that you'd think would have multiple heart attacks by now because of stress is Marty Bird. And he's still kicking, surviving. But a two-part, 14 episodes, kind of a like they did Breaking Bad Season 5, a two-parter. Uh, 14 total episodes. It'll be broken into seven episodes per half. Yay or nay on, on Ozark? Are you into it, Damon? I haven't actually seen it yet. At all. At all. During been, this pandemic. It's, yeah. it's one of those that's always on my list, and it always just gets beat out by something else that I find. And I've been meaning to watch it for a long time now. Okay. Uh, homework assignment. You dive in. You dive in, Damon Barr, over the break, and get you some Ozark. I'll report back. <laughs> You're going to come back? shaken and terrified <laughs> but there you go there's your your ozark news and jason bateman seems the type of guy to leave too soon rather than too late okay let's dive into some nebraska football there's your your ozark moment on hail varsity radio so some interesting thoughts from scott frost and he uh spoke this to the journal star and the world herald this was after the you know, what's football going to look like? Discussion point. This is on Adrian Martinez. And Adrian's sophomore season was not all that different number-wise. I mean, it wasn't as strong as his freshman year. And you had some injuries. You had injuries for Adrian early in his freshman season with the leg twist seen around the world by Colorado. And then Adrian got dinged up against Northwestern and then got dinged up against Purdue. And the guy just couldn't catch a break from an injury standpoint. But Frost went a little bit deeper as to some things as to the why here. The what and the why with Adrian Martinez and his drop-off last year. So, and, and we're all human. We're all at times prone to, to rest on our laurels. That just happens. You do something well, you get some pats on the back, things are rolling, and you see pro teams do it, you see college teams do it, you do it in life, you take your foot off the gas. It's just it's just human nature, and it, you can't be going 1,000 miles per hour, 100% all the time. You, you just can't do it. With Adrian, Frost went on to say, quote, I think there are some things he's done differently this year that will give him an opportunity to be better. That was Scott Frost to the two newspapers, the two largest newspapers in the state. 
from a specific standpoint, Frost said, I think his mindset and his approach are two things that'll be different. And Frost went on to touch on, in year one, he had to compete. We didn't know who was going to be the starting quarterback. Was it going to be Adrian? Was it going to be Jebbia? What did the race look like? And Adrian looked great in the spring game, came in and was really competing for that job. He wanted the job. It wasn't handed to him. And the way Frost said, look, in year one, he looked like a competitor every day in practice. So in year two, due to the situation, I think he was able to put it on cruise control a little more. I think that showed up on the field a little bit. That's not to put everything on him. There's a lot of things he couldn't control, but I don't think he'll lax in his preparation ever again. So from a numbers standpoint, 64.6% completion percentage as a freshman. That was at 59% last season. From an averaging standpoint, passing in 2018, 237, 195 in 2019. From a uh, yards per carry, 4.5 to 4.3. The way that that Frost says, as we look at 2020, Adrian's prepped and primed to have a good year. I think a lot came at him fast last season. He was playing through some injury, and I've said this, but we need to be a lot better around him. Now, Adrian did go have off-season surgery on that left non-throwing shoulder but the, the, the buzz has been, and everyone's favorite player is the backup quarterback. You saw glimpses. We'll talk with Mitch Sherman in 10 minutes about McCaffrey. You saw glimpses of what McCaffrey could do, running and throwing. And there's been a lot of praise in the press for McCaffrey. And he's, Frost didn't shy away from that yesterday in his comments to both newspapers. Luke's done a great job of being a leader through all of this. Adrian was one of the first people back as well with Nebraska as guys were getting back in in March. So the quarterbacks in general have been very high-level leaders in this thing. So the foot off the gas, the lax in preparation, that is part of this equation as to to why did, did 2019 and the way it did. Why was Adrian not like the Adrian you saw? And and if I'm going to, to like put my chips on different spots, if I've got a bingo card as to why Adrian was off, I'm going to first and foremost go with, with injury. Okay, I'm going to go with injury. I'm going to go with expectation and pressure. It's different as it's new. It's your freshman year. You've won the job. It's new for everybody because it's year one. Just go out and play. There's internal expectations, but as far as what what's year one going to look like, just go play ball, man. It's all new for all of us. And, and go learn. Go roll with the punches as a freshman. It, it's okay. <laughs> and then year two, Nebraska's one of those hit teams. Adrian's up for Heisman. Nebraska's got a chance to be in the college football playoff. Nebraska's a preseason Top 25 program. Nebraska dot dot. I mean, go go through the hype. Pretty guilty here of helping create and and preach that narrative because I thought they'd be pretty good. The reality is this: is you had a new center that's going to be really good, and you saw him turn the corner. But 
Adrian was working with a new center. Uh, I don't think he had a lot of trust nor comfort with his receiving core. And is that on Adrian not working enough with guys? Is that part of this lax in preparation? I don't know. I'm ask, I'm just asking. But I, I feel pretty good, even these though that even though the new guys coming into the program, that you've you've tremendously upgraded at wide receiver. I mean, you had JD and Wandale and, and Warner was hurt. And there were some guys that, that got in but didn't play a lot. Or at least didn't perform when they did get in. So I, I think the the guys around him, there's truth to that by Scott Frost. That Nebraska's got to be better around him. Did Nebraska's running game take hold as quickly as it did with Ziggy post-Purdue? No. You didn't really see Nebraska's run game get rolling, ironically, against Wisconsin. But that's when you saw the run game be something you could lean on last year. So you've got receiving core, got a new center, and yes, you've got a situation where your quarterback may not have been as dialed in. He felt comfortable because, all right, Vedral's not going to beat me out. They're going to redshirt McCaffrey. But there is reality with this job. There is reality with McCaffrey because the praise is, is very direct on McCaffrey. All he does is think football. He's throwing it around. He's throwing it as well as they, anyone's ever seen him. I mean, this to me is a warning. And it's nothing that's probably not been discussed nor seen or understood or realized by Adrian Martinez with where he is in this program and and what it's going to take for him to keep this job. This is one more reminder now publicly in the press, and Frost isn't the type of guy to throw this out to both newspapers without chatting with his quarterback and there's been re reaffirmation with 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 super mario about where adrian's at he's in a good spot mentally and physically now adrian's done it once he'll just have to go do it again and that's go win the job and you've got a hungry high level talent that didn't blink much like adrian when he was thrown into some big moments and when push came to shove and iowa uh, the, the final two minutes of the Iowa game kind of come to my mind, and Mitch wrote about this with his story on The Athletic, was, all right, there was a moment there to use McCaffrey and take Adrian out. Why? Because you had certain limitations, in my opinion, by Adrian due to injury that Luke didn't have. And the play got screwed up because of a wide receiver's penalty, and Nebraska lost their opportunity to go win the game at Iowa at the buzzer did what Iowa has done the last two years. So you've got a warning that's, that's out there. And it's, it's straight truth. Did you do everything to be ready to go play ball? And the answer doesn't seem to be yes. And guess what? That's okay. Moving forward, you won't make that same mistake again. Or if you do, there's a very real possibility you get beat out for that starting quarterback job. 
Got to have competition. Didn't have competition, per se, last year. Are you going to be crisper, cleaner, better, throwing the football, running the football, and being ready? I think yes is the answer. Am I predicting Adrian is the starter? Yeah, I am. Does he keep it? That's up to him. And McCaffrey will have a lot to say. The good news is so you have both options as a Nebraska fan. Mitch Sherman's next. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back with you, John Perella, less than an hour away. YouTube Tuesday, 92 Nebraska, Colorado. Halloween night. A lot of student section folks dressed up and the goalposts came on down. We welcome in with the athletic Mitch Sherman with us at Mitch Sherman on Twitter's where you follow him. Mitch, uh, baseball weekend, man. How was it? I wish I knew you were across the diamond from me, man. Yeah, we were close. We were uh, we were cl- I didn't see you either until uh, I saw some of your social media uh, out there. Uh, it was good, you know, kind of warm. And believe it or not, I'm I'm uh, in the car. Uh, the, the the back is packed, and we are heading out to another game right now. So uh-huh. just all baseball all the time. I'm glad we are getting it in, and we have a ball game tonight at eight. So. Best of luck to, to your kids and uh, baseball tonight. And I know you'll be a proud papa in the old fold-up chair watching and, and smiling, man. It's a great time of hey, year. Man, I'm, in the, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm on the bucket in front of the dugout. I'm, I'm coaching. Ooh, Mitch. You're, so uh, what's the uh, hit-and-run ratio? But Yeah, I will be, I'll be proud of all, all of our kids, not just mine. Looking, <laughs> nice. Looking going to be looking good tonight. So are you, are you more Sparky Anderson or Lou Brown as a manager? Well, <laughs> I I um I, I would like to be more sparky. Uh, <laughs> I had a couple of moments of Lou Brown on uh, Sunday in particular. It was the third game in three days, like the eighth game in twelve days. And um, you know, as coaches, we had a little conversation after the after the game on Sunday night when we were back home in our in our air conditioning uh, homes. That it probably would be better to be a little bit more calm, like Sparky, than. Uh, you know they're they're nine, and the umpires are just kids too. And it wasn't really all umpire. It, it was it was only one umpire incident. It was more like directed at the other team's coaches. But uh, that that kind of stuff, you know, we just got to leave it at. I'm I'm declaring right now I'm that weekend uh, Fourth of July tournament, and none of that's going to happen. But you know, we only we only get excited because we care. So. Um, you know, I'll try to justify by that. Okay, oh, this is good. Uh, we're going to get into football, I promise. But no, we've all been there between smarmy fans across the way or the uh, the opposing team that uh-huh. is going to mm-hmm. go. Uh, we're going to go. We're going to milk the the old play clock, and there's no play clock in baseball. Mm-hmm. There is a time limit. Is that is that what we're referring to? Yeah, one of them. One one was a time limit issue. One was a time limit issue. Yeah, and then uh, that was on Saturday, and then there was a. Um, there was more of like a style of play, like hey, no, when you're when you're up big and and, and stop running on every pitch type of thing, and in in, uh, in the second game, you know, when you got kids crying in the dugout and and uh, behind the plate, um, as an opposing coach, I think it's time to uh, recognize the situation and, and uh, realize you're going to win the game instead yeah. of declaring that you want to score 50 runs in front of all of our players. But you know, hey, um, I'm not naming any names. 
you know, uh, the, the next move is to start throwing at the opposing team's coaches. You can always, <laughs> <laughs> you can always... I may have made it. Chris, I may have made a comment that was unnecessary. So we'll, uh, You're good. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Hey, it's all good, man. You care about your kids. I love your story on Nebraska today in the athletic and the usage of of one Luke McCaffrey. And I, you know what? I, more Luke, more of the time for Nebraska on offense. Mitch, I want to kind of get your take. And, and I know that Frost spoke to to the the Journal Star and, and World Herald yesterday, and a little bit more light was shed on. Adrian's sophomore season, specifically mm-hmm. the preparation and and uh, the quote. I don't think he'll ever. He'll, I don't think he'll be uh, lax in his preparation ever again. That from Coach Frost on Adrian and mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that went wrong with Adrian last year. And and I kind of went through the list here of offensive line. Uh, I went through the the pressure, right? I mean the expectations for the team in general. I went through running game. I mean, I went through a lot of it. There was definitely some on Adrian, but but Scott's not wrong in talking about being better around him. But did you feel like Adrian was not as as prepared or dialed in last year? Did you notice that? I, I looked at it as more of a an injury and things needed to, to kind of settle and gel as to why things weren't so smooth offensively in comparison to, to what we saw a lot of in, in his freshman year. That's I did not peg it on that. Yeah. I didn't. I, you know, knowing Adrian and knowing Mario Produsco, um, I did not. I did not look at that situation, anything that was playing out during the season last year, and say, okay, that's because of his preparation. I looked at it like you did and saw issues early in the season with the center getting him the ball. Um, really, from week two or three. He had things that were nagging him with injuries, maybe even all the way back to week one. He definitely started to notice it, I would say, uh, in the Colorado game at times in the second half, um, you know, just where he was hesitant. And I think that came back to that knee being a little bit gimpy. And then when that started to get better, he had shoulder problems. So or maybe it was shoulder, knee, and then shoulder again. Right. Um, but I do think there was there were some issues with his um, his reluctance to want to get out of the pocket and he was much more decisive as a freshman i i didn't chalk that up at the time to a lack of preparedness and i really don't you know i think when scott gets asked about that again or asked to expound on it or asked to compare it at some point to the way that things are going in the 2020 season um he may downplay it a little bit i wouldn't be surprised if he downplayed it a little bit and said hey look adrian was you know, don't make too much of this. Mm-hmm. Adrian was still prepared well. I don't ever think he's gone into a game feeling unprepared. So, um, but maybe from if, if you want to if you want to say what did they expect from him mm-hmm. in the way that he progressed? Remember, he didn't play football as a high school senior. So right. the way that he came in as a freshman in college, as a true freshman in a new system, and how ultra prepared he was, considering all of the obstacles that were there. Maybe because of that, they expected you know, something almost superhuman out of him as a sophomore in the way that he'd be prepared. And really it was just more like, you know, he didn't take as big of a step as they would have liked or he took a small step back, which, of course, is disappointing. Um, you know, whatever it was, I, yeah, I, I think that, <laughs> that this offseason that he's gone through and, and looking back at his sophomore year, he's going to be motivated. Um, they're, he's as motivated as anybody on the team, I would expect, mm. to go out and always be 100% prepared. And I would say 
in a normal circumstance, in a normal going into a normal football year after everything that Adrian has gone through in his first two years and in his life, uh, in his senior year of high school and beyond that, before that, that there's nothing that could be thrown at him that he wouldn't be ready for. And then you look at 2020 and say, well, you know, maybe there is. Maybe there are some things that could be thrown at everybody that they're not ready for. But, um, you know, I think he'll, he'll, um, he'll be able to, uh, to handle all of, the, um, all of the dysfunction and unexpected events of 2020 as well or better than anybody on the team. Mitch Sherman's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Mitch uh, with The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Let's go to McCaffrey. You have that uh, freshman that's now a redshirt freshman. Luke really thrived and performed at a high level, wowed, and uh, is is a threat not only to, to the starting job but also just different parts of, of, of the formation and what Nebraska can do. And I think you're right on with let's see more McCaffrey in some big moments. And you kind of pointed back to the, the final minute and a half or so against Iowa as, as a precursor maybe to – what could be with, with uh, a guy like McCaffrey if he's not starting? Yeah, that was a decision that I think was a good one to make. Um, he was pushing the envelope. And what I didn't get into that story that I wrote about McCaffrey today was, was, you know, Frost could have done that at the end of the first half. Nebraska was driving late in the first half against Iowa, down three points, and opted to stay with Martinez in that spot and it ended up throwing an interception near the goal line. So I think that probably influenced a little bit of what, what Frost decided to do at the end of the second half when, of course, the game's tied. So there's maybe a little bit less risk, at least considering that it's the fourth quarter, there's a little bit less risk in, in throwing him in in that spot. And really everything went wrong once McCaffrey came into the game. They struggled to get a play in in time. They had some substitution issues. And then there was a big penalty um, at the end of his run. Martinez ran out of bounds when he shouldn't have ran out of bounds. Um, you know, some things happened on the next drive that worked out for Iowa, and then they kicked the 48-yard field goal, and it was over. So, like, seven or eight things all compounded on Nebraska, and it started with that decision to put McCaffrey in. Not that it was the wrong decision. I think it was the right decision, and I think Nebraska should double down on it in 2020 and say when there's opportunities to put McCaffrey in to impact the game, absolutely you do it. It doesn't mean you have to take Martinez off the field. I think there's opportunities for uh, the two of them to play together. Um, he doesn't have to be a wide receiver. You're not going to turn him into uh, uh, Wandale Robinson. Uh, but I think he can do just some unusual, unorthodox things. And that's where I think Matt Lubick and Scott Frost putting their minds together in, the, in, in a similar way to what they did in those three seasons at, at Oregon really should be able to come up with some things and ways to get McCaffrey in. And, you know, I think he took a little bit of the steam out of that sale. When Noah Vedrill transferred, if he had been there as a safety valve, it would be more easy to train McCaffrey to do um, some outside-the-box things. But I think this year, in 2020, you just let it all hang out and say, you know, he is our backup quarterback, but as long as Adrian has got two legs to run on and he is, is doing fine, then you're not too worried about putting McCaffrey in and getting him ready for all kinds of situations. So um, I think that's what we'll see. I think that uh, you know, Nebraska's lost a lot in terms of in terms of its skill position guys who are coming back, the latest, of course, being J.D. Spielman. So all the more reason to get McCaffrey out there in situations to impact the game from a lot of different spots on the field. Mitch, less than two minutes, but a thought here is we kind of wait for two weeks from now where the direction of college football is going. As you feel now, as you look at it now, does it sound more like just a conference season or do you think that there's still a, an outside chance of, of getting the non-conference in as well? 
Yeah, I don't think that it's that it's looking like it's Big Ten or only right now. I think they're definitely still looking at wanting to get in the non-conference games from a financial standpoint for all kinds of reasons. If it comes down to it and at the, at the, you, know, you get to August and you're not able to do something like that or even the end of July and the writing is on the wall, then you start to move in that direction. But I think it's, it's premature speculation at this point to write off the non-conference season. I've got a story coming out tomorrow. Um, where I talked with uh, Justin Sell, the athletic director at South Dakota State, and you know, I, South Dakota State is is you know what what he told me today and what I wrote is that they're in a position where they feel good, and it was interesting to hear their perspective about what they're doing. He was quoted last week, and I think some people got the wrong idea about what's going on at South Dakota State. They feel very good about the spot they're in and being able to field the football team this year and being able to come to Lincoln on September 19th. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's 15 Nebraska kids on that roster who, uh, who want to come play in Memorial Stadium, and they can only do it, of course, if, uh, if the situation is safe. But um, I, I, yeah, I don't think they're cashing in their chips by any means at this point on uh, what happens in, the, in September as far as bringing in non-conference votes. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic. Mitch, good luck tonight. Awesome to chat with you. Thanks for a few minutes. Have a good fourth. Okay, Chris, thanks. Same to you. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Mitch Sherman. Going to want to hear that whole thing on Adrian and Luke McCaffrey. And it'll be posted, if not already, on ESPN Lincoln's Twitter handle at ESPN Lincoln. Also on demand at ESPNLincoln.com. So we'll get into YouTube Tuesday, Nebraska, Colorado, 92 Halloween night. John Perella coming up in about 20 minutes or so. Jacob Padilla next hour, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. So the Big Ten network is... They've got a laundry list of of really good dudes picking the all-decade team 2010 through 2019. And I really have no issue at all with their selection on on the offensive line. That's pretty good. You can look that up. I want to get into linebackers and running backs because they chose three linebackers. They chose two running backs. Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley. Really, end of discussion, phenomenal, especially the career stats for Taylor. Saquon is is ferocious. He's incredible. Now, if we were to take a leap to second team, first and foremost, I, I think Amir belongs on there, for sure. I don't know that Amir can beat out a Barkley or a Jonathan Taylor, but Amir's just just right there. Secondly, what Le'Veon Bell did at Michigan State, and this was pre-Cousins, or at least pre-Sparty's really good, to the tune of a playoff run. I think think Le'Veon got out in the 2013 draft, so 2012 is when Nebraska played him. I, Le'Veon, I, I don't know. I don't know that you can put Le'Veon from a from a college number standpoint. Clearly not in the ballpark of Taylor and Barkley. But but I I think we we need to talk a second about 
what Amir and Le'Veon meant to each team. As, as you know, Penn State was pretty loaded at receiver. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was the offense behind incredible offensive lines to linebacker. Chris Borland, phenomenal at Wisconsin. Josie Jewell, you know what? I love watching that dude play ball. And then Devin Bush, no one arguably faster than him, sideline to sideline, really talented. Could you make an argument for Levante David's senior season in the Big Ten? And listen, multiple year starts in the Big Ten for Josie Jewell, for Chris Borland, for Devin Bush. I, I get it. But again, on that short list right behind the three, you got to have a conversation about Levante David. Yes, it's from a Nebraska angle here with Amir and, and Levante, but they were both great. Amir had a great career at Nebraska, 18, damn near 1,800 yards. His senior season in 14. And for sure, uh, Levante's numbers, where they stack up in tackles for Nebraska in just two years, in one year in the Big Ten. I mean, I, th- I think of the impact Levante David had not only in the Ohio State game with the football strippage and fumble, but also when it came down to, you know what, cutting time against Penn State. And there's three consecutive plays on second, third, and fourth in short against Penn State where Levante David's in there stopping Penn State. I think if you remember, Nebraska jumped out to like a 17-0 or a 13-0 lead and had to hang on uh, the week that Joe Paw got whacked. And it was just craziness in, in State College. Uh, two games in the Big Ten era that Levante David had plays that if he does not make them, Nebraska doesn't probably win the football game. And there's there's four plays in two huge games. Levante David's a guy we need to talk about. Too short a time span, probably, for Levante. Now, if, if I see Russell Wilson land here on the all-decade team as quarterback, then we got some problems because Russell just had a year. <laughs> uh, as as a grad transfer, really kicked things off. Kirk Cousins will be mentioned uh, in this all-decade discussion point. Braxton Miller, for sure, will be mentioned. The other guy that we, we can talk about all-decade, I mean, would you take Ezekiel Elliott over Jonathan Taylor? Would you take Ezekiel Elliott over Saquon Barkley? I'm just asking. And from a career standpoint, the numbers are probably pretty similar with Barkley and Zeke. Jonathan Taylor ran for like 4,000 yards a season, it seemed like. The other guy that you can add to this discussion here is Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon was incredible also for Wisconsin, the predecessor to a Jonathan Taylor. 466-377-6800-825-5865. can email chris at hailvarsity.com. Quarterbacks, though, you know, you've got Cousins, really is kind of it. 
for quarterbacks. I mean, Taylor Martinez won't get the nod, but had a, a pretty nice career for Nebraska into the Big Ten. You had the Armstrong era in the Big Ten, and, and I don't know that he'll get much mention or discussion at all, but, but Tommy had a really good career in Lincoln. It's really limited for, for quarterbacks in the Big Ten. It just is. Now, Cousins has made a ton of money in the NFL. He's done well in the NFL. He's also gotten chastised quite a bit in the NFL. But he took Michigan State to absolutely new heights. Iowa has had guys that are more managers at quarterback, but they've had some pretty good good players, as you've seen their program, program rise up. Michigan's been different, right? I mean, they had Denard Robinson for for a, for a brief time that was good, but Michigan's kind of been a mess at, at quarterback. So to me, it's going to come down to to Cousins. I think you look at Braxton Miller. I know he ended up switching positions. Do you go with Carlisle Holiday? Probably not. Too short of a window. But Ohio State got their national championship. Damon, that was a long conversation. You are taking your your phone screening job very, very personal. I like it. We have we have concerned listeners that care about the upcoming season, and they're worried, Chris. Yeah, it's all right. Just how worried? You didn't have to like tell them things are going to be okay. No, they just want to know what's going to happen to their seats and everything and what the athletic director is going to say and all that yeah, kind of stuff. I will tell you what the, I, well, how much have you given and how long have you given? That's the starting point. And do you feel safe going into the stadium? Answer those two questions. That's not to be careless or blunt. It's that's kind of the part of the formula here. The wind down hour one, Hale Varsity continues. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, it's Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. Give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Damon Barr. That's two R's for Damon Barr. And we will hear from John Perella, former Nebraska defensive line coach, longtime Raider and Charger. And yes, he was the man in the middle for YouTube Tuesday as we remember Nebraska, Colorado, 92. The Halloween night massacre where Nebraska reclaimed the Big 8, 52-7 over the Buffs. Damon Barr was not born yet, but I'm sure he's checked it out. That's also on his to-do list this holiday weekend. Watch Ozark as it's announced the season finale will be or the series finale will be a a two-part seven-series showdowns. Uh, You have seven episodes, and then another seven, and bang, that's your season four. I say bang because that's how Marty Bird says it's going to go out. Got to get into Ozark. Reminder about drinking and driving, because that's seen on Ozark. Don't do it. One out of three fatal crashes involves impaired drivers, drunk driving, buzzed, or high driving. Never acceptable law enforcement officers working around the clock with sobriety checkpoints and saturation patrols. As a driver, 
make that correct choice of a non-alcoholic drink or a pre-selected designated driver. Uh, Find out who's taking you home. Start the conversation. Who's driving home? Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Big Ten quarterback of the decade. Do you go Braxton Miller? Do you go Kirk Cousins? Do you go other? I think it's Braxton Miller for the the hundred years it seemed he played in the league. Even though he switched to receiver his senior year, do you take him over Cousins? It's a hard choice. It is, and I and I threw out. You know, you had Le'Veon Bell and Amir Abdullah. Uh, you had. Uh, the other guy for Wisconsin that ran for a thousand yards a game against Nebraska. He helped me out here. Said his name. <laughs> uh, anywho, Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon is is there. Melvin was there. You know, this twenty ten through through twenty. Would you be upset if I said I know he was just just there a year? But give me Russell Wilson. I would not be upset if you said that. That that's a good take, I think. Do you do you get in there at all on does does T Magic get mentioned? I don't think so. I, I don't think Dude did uh, a lot. I don't think he cracks the top though. For, no, I don't I don't think know. he does either. Mm. Tough decisions. Tough decisions for sure. Uh, Iowa, and we'll see what the fallout is as we spent a little bit of time on Akram Wadley's uh, nightmare comment, and that's getting some some feedback, some blowback. And, you know, I was talking to a couple folks in Iowa, and with Wadley, the guy didn't make uh, the, the Titans, didn't make the XFL, and I thought he was a really good back, but just in reaching out to some folks that are in tune with the Iowa program, his messaging in tune is nothing but love for Iowa City and being back. That's what it says on social media. Now on social media, it's it was nothing but a nightmare. So which is it? They wanted you to eat so you could play ball. They also took your meal card. John Perell is on the way. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tower 2 at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. YouTube Tuesday, and what are the games Nebraska fans hold up in high regard? The memorable Halloween game against Colorado, 1992. A senior and uh, all-Big 8 performer, longtime NFLer, and uh, longtime coach, John Perella is with us. John, it's great to chat with you again, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a long time. I'm glad we uh, finally got a chance to connect again. It is good to spend a few minutes with you. John, let's start off with the the Nebraska-Colorado series and what had been building up to your senior year. Coach Osborne, Coach McBride, every game's important. You've preached that as a coach, and you, you heard it as a player. 
but was there a little something extra for the 92 showdown? <laughs> you know what? I mean, for uh, I think for our team, you know, just you know, the year before we had tied him in Boulder and, and uh, you know, they blocked our field goal type deal and, uh, you know, late the game and ran it back to tie the game. You know, all those the things that went on, they were, they were a team that hadn't been very good in a long time. And over the last few years, they've really rebuilt them, uh, resurfaced, rebuilt themselves, so to speak. And, and uh, you know, so I think, yeah, I think there's a little bit of, hey, uh, you know, these guys are, are for real and, and uh, it's time for us to put them in their place. But, you know, don't, don't discredit them. That, that's a, that was a very good football team. They had a great year. They were well coached. And it was just our night that night. I mean, it, it, you know, it's amazing how many years later uh, I still remember that game. 52 to 7. 5-2-7. Eight rushing yards. That's it. That's all Colorado mustered against the black shirt defense. And I think it was a second start for, for Tommy Frazier and the uh, the last ever fumble Ruski with Will Shields. Yeah, Will Shields, yeah. Getting yeah. A, a first down run. But tell us your story a little bit because you, you have a unique tie to Colorado and Nebraska, don't you? Yeah, you know, I do. I, you know, I grew up in Nebraska, and uh, obviously, and, and uh, you know, son of a of a military police officer. So you, you know, grew up on a military base, moved in high school, and uh, visited Colorado. And, and uh, uh, my senior year, and had an opportunity uh, to visit them. Got a scholarship offer, and and took it. And, and you know, I don't. I wouldn't say my parents were upset in any shape of imagination. I think they were excited that I was going to get free schooling. And, and uh, uh, Nebraska, as much as I loved them and they loved them, uh, it was a deal where you know I could walk on at Nebraska or get a scholarship to Colorado. And it, it wasn't too late, I guess, for Nebraska to offer after Colorado, but it was just one of those deals where it was an opportunity for me to uh, just get away from home a little bit and, and uh, you know go play football for what was going to be a very good football program under Bill McCartney. And, uh, you know, obviously it worked out for the, the best, you know, of mine always says man makes plans and and, and uh, god laughs you know so my plan was to go there and, and uh, god laughed and said no you're going to go to nebraska uh my grades were too good to go to colorado so uh you know i had to go to uh, nebraska uh, obviously i'm joking there but uh you know I, I made all the academic requirements so uh who knows what really happened uh but you know thank god i ended up back at nebraska walked on got a scholarship a year later and and it really was a blessing in disguise uh, you know, had the greatest head coach in college football in Tom Osborne and, and that staff. I mean, Charlie McBride, uh, as you know, is you know, like a dad to me and to many others. I mean, love him. Uh, and many coaches on that staff. And uh, it was a blessing I went there. It, it uh, changed my life forever. John Perella is with us, uh, standout Husker. It's YouTube Tuesday. And uh, we're recapping that Halloween night, Colorado, Nebraska, 1992, YouTube Tuesday, 52-7, to Nebraska. What was the game plan? Colorado had shifted from kind of their eye bone option attack to to a one back set. They had Cordell, they had Coy Detmer. Their O line was really good. Uh, they're not far removed from a national title, and you know the, the the Buffs teams following your senior season were top ten, as was that that team in '92. Well, not to totally quiz you on on game plans but what was the thought because the, the one back setup was the same stuff that the washingtons and miamis were running and you had college football shifting away from from option and shifting away from wishbone at the time 
Yeah, well, you know, I, that was a late in the year, a point where we had some injuries, and we ended up uh, switching and playing a lot of that dime front, you know, that, that nickel four-man mm-hmm. front. And uh, we ended up using that, you know, I think quite a bit in that game. But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing was, you know, all, like always, and Charlie always preached it, and, you know, we had to stop the run, you know, and 11 guys at the football. And, and uh, I think it was the first or second play of the game. We had a turnover, uh, just everyone doing their job, you know, dropping in the coverage and uh, tips and overthrows. And, and uh, obviously we got the ball in their offense, went down, I believe, and scored right away. But, you know, one of the biggest things, I think, the unsung hero of, of really that game and maybe just Nebraska football in general is just I think people undervalued the fact of how great a coach uh, Charlie McBride was. But also uh, in that game particularly and, and for the years is the offensive line. I mean, I somebody and it's been maybe a year or two ago sent me a clip of uh, Nebraska's offensive line scoring and put their entire defensive line seven yards into the end zone and, you know, knocked them seven yards back into the end zone. And, and uh, my buddy asked me, are they that good? I said, buddy, every single day. And it was a war because that offensive line was a real deal. And four of those five guys were uh, Nebraska kids, by the way. You know, the only one not was Will Shields, who, uh, you know, was from Oklahoma. But uh, incredible group. But I think the biggest game plan, you know, really was just we had to stop the run so that we could get pressure on the quarterbacks. And, and uh, I think we did. Some of your mates on that, that defensive front in, in 92 – uh, Trev Alberts had a, a whale of a game. We talked to Trev uh, for YouTube Tuesday about the, the UCLA win a year later in 93, the late, great Travis Hill. Uh, your linebacking core was nice. And, and as you mentioned, it was more of that 4-3 look. And you had, I don't know if it was Eddie Stewart was was playing by then or not, but your, your secondary was pretty talented with Kenny Wilhite and company as well. But speak a little bit to, to that group, some of the guys that were seniors with you and some of the underclassmen. Well, I mean, you had you know, Kevin Raymakers, you had David Noonan, you know, Travis Hill. I mean, uh, just, you know, he had a great game, God rest his soul. And, and uh, you know, Trev Alberts, you know, Kenny Wilhite was all over the place. And, you know, just, you know, you had Mike Anderson, mm. uh, you know, the whole group, you can go on with everybody without missing a guy, and I don't mean to if I did. Uh, but just an incredible group of guys that just played their hearts out. And, and uh, you know, we, we were jumping in out of defense a little bit. But, you know, it really didn't matter. I don't think what we ran that night as it was just 11 guys uh, defensively decided that not today. You know, just, you know, well, let's put a stake in the ground and say, you know, we own this conference and, and we will for a long time. And, uh, uh, and we did. I think they went on the next – you know, was it eight, nine years? And I think they lost one game uh, in all those years or just a few games. So uh, I think the young guys in those classes were uh, extremely talented. I think the older guys brought tremendous leadership and, and uh, you know, pushed the envelope, you know, get better every single day, uh, which you, know, you hear it all the time now in college or high school football. But, you know, the reality is, you know, that was a, a way of life at Nebraska about getting 2% better every single day. And uh, it seemed impossible when you're young, but as you get older – uh, playing there, you can see it's possible, and and I just think it was, you know, our coaches had us well prepared, and and uh, you know, I guarantee if you looked at the tape, there was eleven guys at that ball, uh, just about every single play. John Perell is with us. YouTube Tuesday, Hale Varsity Radio, Nebraska, Colorado, nineteen ninety two. As you grew and and were an elder statesman with that program, how did you a- approach leadership? What did you try and do? on that defensive line or as um, as a member of the football team? I mean, you saw you saw a lot of snaps throughout your career, and then 
you know, it kind of got passed to you, so to speak, your, your senior season, your junior senior seasons. How were you uh, impactful with, with, the, with the younger kids? What did you try and do? Well, you know, I started off as a tight end at Nebraska and had, you know, Ron Brown, who's just, you know, you know what an awesome man he is. And, and uh, you know, I went from his meeting room, you know, it was almost like heaven and hell going from Ron, <laughs> Brown, Ron Brown's meeting room to Carly McBride. You know, I, I truly, uh, <laughs> I mean that in the best way possible. I'm I mean, sure you do. You know, like, you, you know, you went from, you know, Brown saying, you know, Coach Brown saying, you know, hey, you know, step correctly and get your hands inside to, uh, you know, to the uh, the evil tyrant that uh, I called dad today. So uh, he can't be all bad, but, uh, you know, the greatest coach maybe uh, my position coach ever. You know, I had some great ones in the NFL. Charlie's uh, is one of the best. And, and uh, you know, so you go in that room and the you, first thing you had to do is learn how to survive. You know, when you, you had Kent Wells and, and, you know, as a senior when I was young, and then you had our group with Kevin Raymakers and the Noonans and, uh, you know, those kind of guys. Our room was not easy, you know, with Terry Keneally and Pat Engelbert. I mean, it was a truly a room full of uh, apex predators. And uh, I think the biggest thing was you got to show everybody as, as you get older that, hey, you can play. And I think the second thing is you had to set the example. Because no one's going to follow you if you stand on the soapbox unless you're doing it yourself. And, and I think that that senior class that I played with, uh, guys were those kind of guys just said, hey, you know, not only are they going to, you know, talk to talk, but we're going to walk the walk and and, uh, and and doing it right on and off the field. And, and and for me as a young college player, I struggled with, you know, the off the field stuff. I had so much fun in college, you know. You know, I've got four sons and, and uh, two have graduated college of honors, and I have one now at, uh, at Ohio State and, and uh, going to school. And, and, you know, and I tell them I had so much fun in college and I almost forgot everything. But uh, <laughs> the biggest thing is you're going there to get a degree. And thank God that, you know, guy like Dennis LeBlanc uh, helped me get my degree at Nebraska. But, uh, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing on that whole thing with that leadership was, you know, Kenny will tell you, Kenny Wilhite will tell you, and I'm sure Charlie would tell you that it was guys that walked the walk. And uh, they did it every single day and pushed the envelope in the bar to get better on a daily basis. What was the uh, conversation like to go to the defensive line room from the tight end room? Uh you know, I've gotten bigger. I grew. I, you know, I, at a high school, I was, you know, six three and a half, six four. Uh, but I put on a bunch of weight. I went from, you know, two ten, two twenty, to about two hundred and sixty pounds. And and uh, they had just had a guy, uh, Willie Griffin, if I remember correctly, had switched from tight end to defensive tackle. I believe that was his name. Mm. And uh, it went well for him. And uh, uh, they asked me what my thoughts were. And uh, you know, of course, you know, you. you you want to do anything you can, uh, not only to help the team, but also, you know, yourself in your career. You know, you, you can't help if you're not, uh, you know, getting on the field in any way, shape, or form. And, and uh, so it was an opportunity to go and learn from one of the best and then have a great group of guys that wanted to help you. And, and uh, so when I got, you know, I think Coach Brown said, hey, I think you had to do this. I think Coach Osborne was very, uh, you know, hey, I think this would be good for you. And I think Charlie uh, you know, was more, I can't wait to have you in there. And, and uh and then after day one, I thought the guy hates me. Uh, <laughs> why, why? Why is that? Now you go from individual. You know, today it's so different. You know, I actually joke. I, I've been coaching my high school son a little bit, uh, uh, training him for for the fall. And, and uh, you know, I, I said, you know, how how you coach today is completely different than say Charlie McBride. I mean, very demonstrative, very on you, very uh, demanding to a point of you know of. of you know, borderline crazy, and I absolutely loved it. You know, I think that's what's missing a little bit from kids today. I think you don't have a drill sergeant that says, "Hey, this is how you do things, and if you do it wrong, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to let you know it. And, and I really appreciate it. I mean, it made coach pro coaching as a player and now as a coach pretty simple. I mean, uh, you know, he, he taught a lot of things in life. I mean, the faith, character, and commitment and leadership. Or, and, uh, you know, our room was, was as crazy as it was and, uh, and played as hard as they did and all the other things that went on with that room. We knew one thing. We knew who was in charge, and we knew that if you did something stupid, he was going to crush you. And uh, so Charlie let us know on a daily basis who, you know, you know, who the leader was. How much crazy do you need to play on the interior, John? You did it at Nebraska, and you did it for a long time in the NFL, one of the best to do it in nose. Oh, no, thanks. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think the biggest thing that, you know, Coach McBride taught was you can't, you know, you've got to be a master of your craft. I mean, you can't rely on anyone else to teach you. You've got to know what you're doing, number one. Number two, I think it's toughness. I mean, this uh, day and age, you know, kids are, guys are playing, and, they, and they're getting, you know, my hamstrings tight or my or my ankle sore or whatever. And you know, in the National Football League, they don't want to hear that. What they want to hear is, I can go no matter what, and my play is going to be the same if I'm healthy or banged up. And uh, you know, I think after 12 years for me, I I just couldn't perform the same way because I couldn't I couldn't play beat up. Mm-hmm. You know, Charlie used to always say, "Your hands are going to be the first thing to go." And and uh, you know, I think he's absolutely right. It was my hands, my neck, and my low back. I think it was in that order. Uh, so I think I think toughness. I think. Uh, what he taught was the toughness, but also, look, I've said a lot of things that people think this guy's probably crazy, Charlie McBride. He's one of the most loving men you'll ever meet. I mean, I can truly tell you that. That guy is, is uh, you know, I put him up on a high horse above anyone else I've ever known or met uh, uh, would be Charlie. That is John Perella. It's YouTube Tuesday. More on Nebraska, Colorado, 1992. And some incredible thoughts there from Perella. We will get into with Perella the crowd that Saturday at Memorial Stadium will also get Perella's thoughts on the Davis twins as they're off to the NFL and, and Coach Perella had a couple of years with them at Nebraska and uh, it is uh, winding down for one of the true innovators of college football to make Nebraska incredible and that's Boyd Epley in the Husker Power Program so more to come uh, a lot more to come with John Perella I, I couldn't believe <laughs> What he said about going from heaven to hell, leaving Ron Brown's room as a tight end, and then putting on weight and going to McBride's room on the defensive line. That was that was hilarious. And and as John Sparella can only say, I mean it, as a as a true compliment, that's that was pretty good. Uh Iowa Russ emails in. Did you say Connor Cook? I might have whispered Connor Cook as as an option for all-decade quarterback of the Big Ten. I mean, they they won a Big Ten championship. They won a Rose Bowl. His teammates probably hate him still. But Cousins or, or Russell are your two options. More with John Perella, YouTube Tuesday, Nebraska, Colorado, 92 on the way. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. YouTube Tuesday continues more with Husker Standout and uh, Coach John Perella. John, uh, a thought about the crowd and the atmosphere. Do you remember the crowd Halloween night? I mean, it, it's as cranked up as I have ever heard it, and that's a kid who went to a lot of Nebraska games with his family, or did it all kind of blend together for you? You know what? Typically, you know, you learn as you play that, you know, a lot of times the game's over and you don't really even notice the crowd, uh, you know, and that's, 
you know, how many games I've played in as a, as a player and now as a coach. I mean, three Super Bowls as a player, and I'm telling you, the loudest game I can ever remember as a player was that night. I mean, we couldn't hear our calls. It was so loud on defense. I mean, it, and even on the sideline, trying to talk with, you know, with our coaches, it even seemed, you know, the crowd was so ecstatic and loud. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I will tell you this, how jacked up our team was. Late in the third quarter, Coach McBride had said something to me on the sideline, and he said, you're done. And I said, I looked at him like, what do you mean? And, you know, like we wanted blood. I mean, we wanted to, you know, just destroy these guys. And, and uh, he, John, look at that scoreboard. And I looked up, and it was, you know, I don't know, in the low 40s, I don't know, 42 to 7 or something. I don't know, 44, so I don't remember scoring now. But at that point, but uh, 45-7, and I just, I'm looking at that score going, we're up 45, whatever, you know, we're just blowing these guys out. But it didn't matter to us. It was just, hey, uh, you know, we just wanted to go out and, and number one was do our job, you know, with the highest capacity. But number two, we, there was a point of, you know, we weren't here to play around. We wanted to knock people around physically and prove a point. And, and uh, you know, fortunately it really worked out. And, and again, you know, the next week we did it again in Kansas. I think we blew Kansas up 49-7 to 7 or something like that. John Perella, yeah, one of the greats at Nebraska and a longtime NFLer. John, uh, thanks for spending a few minutes with us on, on YouTube Tuesday. A quick thought as uh, Carlos and Khalil Davis are, are both off to the NFL, you got a chance to see him at Nebraska. Not to put too much on them, but you've made yourself the, the transition from college to the NFL. What do you think about them and their, uh, their move up to the pros? Oh, I'm happy for them. I'm proud of them both. You know, I coached those guys for uh, a couple of years and, and uh, you know, wonderful young men, uh, great football players. And uh, and they know, I mean, they're, they know what to do when they get up here. It's just, it's, you know, be a master of your craft. And, and uh, you know, I would be shocked if they didn't have a great career. I mean, they're both uh, very extremely talented young men and that uh, will, they're going to work hard and, and uh, they'll probably have a tremendous careers in this league. John, and, and last thing, last mm-hmm. thing before I go is Boyd Epley's retiring, so make sure uh, you know. Hey, the Godfather of weight training. Uh, you got to get a shout out to the, the best ever. Uh, it, it, his last day is today, July first, is the retirement, and you can kind of speak to Husker Power, man. You were you were from the you know the two ten, the two twenty range at, at tight end to what did you play at at Nebraska? Uh, you know about three hundred. Sure. Uh, you know sure. Boyd. I would say this, my. I was my sophomore year, maybe it was my retro sophomore year, somewhere in those years. Uh, Boyd actually trained me one-on-one uh, for the winter one year okay. and took, put me through a different program than the team. He was taking me through a, a power program, a different program. And my everything, all my, you know, the 40, the vertical, and all the other stuff that we do, the squat, the bench, everything, hand clean, uh, had improved. I mean, just crazy. And then I, my weight was, you know, it's gone up 20, 30 pounds. My body fat went down. My body fat went down, and, and uh, uh, which was awesome. And I can never thank Boyd enough for, you know, his, uh, you know, willingness to say, hey, we're going to try something different to really accelerate your uh, training in a different way than we're training our, our, the rest of the guys. And then the next, uh, in the spring, the entire team went to a program. And then when I graduated, they actually added another part to it. And, uh a metabolic circuit early. So uh, Boyd is the founder. Today, I think you're seeing so many strength coaches who are doing a great job mm-hmm. around the country, but they've changed a little bit, uh, and some are staying with his principles. And, and I'm telling you, those principles that he, uh, you know, that he has in the, uh, that, that power of principles in a weight room, I'm telling you, uh, you know, it's, people have a hard time believing, you know, 
oh, we should be doing this, you should be doing that. And you know what? Boyd had it right. I mean, don't recreate the wheel, just follow the guys in front of you. And Boyd's the founder and, and uh, you know, maybe the best ever uh, strength coach. John, last thought on, on the strength and conditioning side. W- w- I mean, were the workouts just killer? I mean, I, I assume they were, but how how did he kind of did, – did, did you ease in to this new setup and, wow, here's the results, and later on, you know, they, they shift it? Or, I mean, take me through, not not too into the weeds, but just how how the approach was and then just how – and then you explained the payoff, but uh, was it something that, that seemed like, okay, this is up my alley? Obviously, you trusted him. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I you know, Boyd is, you know, I think the biggest thing, the challenge to young strength coaches today, I have a son who's a strength coach, and, and uh, uh, I actually sent him to Boyd for a day or two and, and to learn from him because the guy's that good. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the biggest challenge for young strength coaches is, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, you know, young football coaches, they want to have 10,000 plays in, you know, you know, you know, what did, what did Bruce Lee say? You know, I don't fear the guy who knows 10,000 kicks. I fear the guy who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think what Boyd did and his principles were very simple, uh, which a lot of, you know, minds struggle with, wait a minute, this is all you got to do. Well, it's not what you do, it's how you're doing it. And I think this, you know, it wasn't a ton of lifts, but let's be great at the lifts we're doing. And, and, and in return, you saw guys, you know, that were just skinny six foot four kids at a high school became 300 pound mountain men. And, and, uh, so were they hard? Uh, I think it was, uh, I think everybody saw at the end of it uh, that you could achieve something that your body had never seen if you train at the rate that he asked you to train at. And, uh, you know, everything was documented, everything was marked, everything was signed off on. Like, you didn't do your last set unless the strength coach was standing there watching you and making sure that you were doing it correctly. And, uh, and you know what? It worked. It worked extremely well, as you know, as well as every fan would know and, and every player who played there. And uh, uh, so it wasn't easy, but I would say – uh, I think everybody knew that, you know, as hard as it was, so to speak, that uh, the changes in your body would be, uh, you know, would help you become a better football player, not a better bodybuilder. Hey, look at me in the mirror. I think it made you a better player. You're, you're truly more powerful and bigger, stronger, faster. John Perella. John, this was fun to get caught up. Best to you and your family. And thanks for a few minutes. Oh, thanks. Really enjoyed it. And you take care. God bless you. Talk to you soon. John Perella, old number 92 for Nebraska in the middle. And YouTube Tuesday, remember Nebraska, Colorado, they uh, they they wanted to, to make a statement that they did. Let's dive back into to Iowa real quick. And Akram Wadley, his comments on the, the nightmare that was playing for Iowa. So, how do you view this as a, as a football fan, as a Nebraska fan? And just to rehash, Wadley was asked, you know, if he's going to go rob a liquor store or, or gas station multiple times by Brian Ferentz, the former, well, the current offensive coordinator. There's been no suspension of Brian Ferentz. You've got public strength, uh, strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle uh, on – separation from Iowa he is gone you get a little more into this story with Wadley alleging that that dad Kirk threatened to take my meal card it'd be taken away and I wouldn't be able to eat nor sit with my teammates during eating sessions 
He did follow through on that threat. I went to use my meal card. It was declined. I had to call my mom in New Jersey at 10 or 11 at night because I was hungry and order a pizza. Or I'd have to go to a fan's house earlier at night to eat because there was no way I was going to be able to make it through the next day, vomiting, being weak, and be able to make it through school and practice. So, listen, I am not going to side with that garbage treatment by Ferentz, either Ferentz, about you're telling the kid you want him to gain weight so he is durable, so he can run the football for you. And for whatever reason, he's not doing what he's told or doing what he's told to your liking, so you so you block off his eating to teach him a lesson. Not, not all good. There, there's other ways to make a point versus that type of punishment. I don't know how many times they told Wadley to put some weight on so you can make it through a Big Ten season. So I understand part of the coach's frustration. And how are you going to learn? Well, if my meal card doesn't work and I got to call mom in Jersey to get me a pizza, maybe I'll start using my meal card and eating like I'm supposed to. Or it sticks with me as part of this air quote nightmare at Iowa And the first chance I get, I'm going to bury these guys on social media. Now, if you you check in with some Iowa fans who paid for an autographed football from Wadley, they they still may be waiting on it. So what's Wadley's total character? I'm not defending Iowa. I'm not saying, hey, let's uh, let's make racially insensitive comments by the, the coach's kid or the strength and conditioning coach about a kid wearing a stocking hat when it's cold out. That's, that's awful. That's uncalled for. That's nothing you do. Clearly didn't like it. Clearly stuck with him. But there is such a thing as a rule maker. There is such a thing as a, head, a program. There is such a thing as head coach. When he tells you to do something, you should do it. Now, it shouldn't be the first penalty of I'm going to shut your meal card off. It's not the first nor the last, might be the last time that ever happens, but it's not the first time that's probably happened at a program. Wadley's a guy that that seems like he's jumping at this opportunity to 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 get in there on on Iowa. They are down, he is kicking them, and he was mistreated. I I don't disagree with that. But he's gone back per his social media posts an awful lot for such a, a bad time. And maybe, maybe the people and the place is great, but the people that he played for or, or worked under, not so much. And I think he's a really talented back. There are different ways to go about getting results. And I don't know how many times Iowa yelled till they were blue in the face for him to gain weight, to be durable, but they'd had enough. And the head man himself, per this allegation, shut his meal card off. Is this new? Is this all part of the initial allegations? Is this stuff that's just raising its ugly head as there's an independent investigation going on? 
I think this is being rehashed. I think it's been out there. I think it's been reported. And Wadley now has a platform that he hasn't had in three years since he left Iowa. And he's throwing hand grenades. See how Iowa handles it, responds, and fixes it. Jacob Padilla is next. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a hot preteen Swedish boy. Back with you, Tail Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Jacob Padilla is with us, and we say hi to Jacob at Jacob Padilla underscore on Twitter is where you find him. Jacob, uh, you're watching hoops. Uh, is that the word? You found some live hoops? Yeah, and we actually had some live basketball on this afternoon. Uh, it was uh, the Spanish ACP League final, and uh, former Husker Siobhan Shields is playing in it with Basconia and helped lead his team to the, the victory there over Barcelona. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Matt Janning is a guy that I know. His sister played at Creighton. Um, he played at Northeastern. Uh, Zoran Dragic is on mm. that Basconia team, the brother of Goran Dragic, uh, former son. So uh, it was kind of cool seeing uh, seen some basketball and seen some old faces that I that I watched before. Well, keep the the positive vibes, right? With uh, with live real sports, let's hope that happens. I really enjoy your your Nebraska film study uh, stories. That's on alevarsity.com. You can get that. Uh, log on and check it out with Jacob, and you do a great job of uh, checking in on Garrett Nelson. And uh, we love watching him play ball, and Nebraska fans love watching him play ball and his motor. And uh, he's got a little bit more experience, and he kind of got thrown into the deep end, did some good things, and, and learned some things along the way. What did you find out as you, you took a look at Garrett Nelson's film? Yeah, you look at that, uh, that 2019 recruiting class, and uh, outside of Wandale Robinson, nobody played more than Garrett Nelson did. He, uh, he played in 11 of the 12 games, just missing the one uh, where he was sick out at Maryland. He, I, I, I uh, had him logging defensive snaps in 10 of those games. So he was a regular part of the rotation coming off that bench. And sometimes he got a few snaps in there. Other, a few other games, he got some extended runs. So um, it was interesting kind of watching back. He got about 120 defensive snaps this past season, so a nice little sample size there to kind of see what he can do and um, where he's at. There, there certainly is some issues, I think, and a lot of it's um, experience and discipline and just kind of where he's at in his progression where out of position or kind of fell for some play fakes. It's always hard to know when you're watching like I am just kind of watching back on the TV film, what exactly his responsibility is on any given play. Um, so it's hard to know just how much he was out of position, uh, how much it was other guys out of position that led to some of the, the mistakes. But uh, um, be, be, uh, outside of kind of the some of the low lights, there are a few ones where he um, made the wrong play. But you keep watching and just – there's so many little things to be excited about with him. And this is a guy that coming in here as a true freshman, he had the strength to move tight ends and linemen, and he ended up pancaking a right tackle at one point, putting the dude on his back. So he's got that, that strength there um, to, to continue to build off on with uh, Zach Duvall's uh, staff as he matures throughout his college career. Um, so a lot of strength there. And then obviously the hustle everybody knows about. The dude is going to play hard. He's going to give you everything he's got. 
And he just kind of has a knack for getting his nose in there and, and making a play when the ball is in his area. And if it's not, he's going to pursue the, the ball and go <laughs> make sure it, uh, that he gets he gets there and can make a play if uh, Nebraska needs him to. So um, it was fun to kind of watch back all those plays. And uh, I think he's got a bright future in Nebraska. Jacob Medilla is with us. HailVarsity.com and Magazine is uh, Nebraska Film Study, Jacob's latest story. And the focus, Garrett Nelson, his motor's something to behold. And that's a, a great point with just his strength coming in uh, was was at a level to, to play and, and do some good things. Now, channeling that and being a bit more disciplined is – Kind of, kind of the next step for him, but you don't ever want him to lose that passion or or think too much, so to speak. Right? See ball, hit ball. Uh, you know what? What can he do for Nebraska at outside, based on what Nebraska needs at that position? Responsibility is going to be coverage, contain, setting the edge, and obviously getting pressure on the quarterback. But that that. You've got to be such a really talented athlete to to play that spot because you have to wear so many hats and be good at those hats. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that outside linebacker spot this year. Alex Davis played a lot of snaps last year, and obviously he's gone and wasn't quite as productive as you would have liked. And they played a lot with their Jojo Doman uh, at the other spot more, as more of a nickelback um, kind of hybrid linebacker. Um, so I think Nelson, he, uh, I think just based on what I saw, I think they prefer to have him kind of on the boundary side playing that role that uh, Alex Davis did where um, you're not asked to cover as much, although Nelson did drop back into coverage a few times and against the Iowa game, um, they played a lot more with two big outside linebackers and they had uh, Nelson on the field side where, while Davis was on the boundary side. So they, he does kind of have that ability. I think he's not – the quickest, but he did look pretty fluid when he was asked to drop back, I thought. Um, so th- there's some potential there, but I think they're going to want him as a guy that's going to um, kind of play closer to the line of scrimmage, get after the quarterback, uh, try to set the edge, uh, and, and then make plays that way. So uh, we'll, we'll see kind of how that, that dynamic works out between him and Caleb Tanner. Um, I think those are the, the two most experienced outside linebackers besides Doman. We know he's going to have a big role, but they got a lot of snaps to um, replace there w- with Alex Davis moving on. And over the second half of the season, you did see Nelson's snap count rise. And um, he, he saw a much bigger role and played quite a few snaps down the stretch. So um, that, that's kind of one of the, the positions, I think, heading into the season that's most interesting to me. And that I think Nebraska needs a, a jump from somebody in that room to be an impact player. You've got three really good candidates in the versatility of JoJo. Uh, of course, the, the athleticism of Tanner, also the athleticism of Nelson. And if you were to, to say, give me a strength, what, what do you think the, the strength right now of, of Tanner is? And what do you think the strength of Nelson is as they compete for that spot? Yeah, that's, I'm still trying to figure out uh, what exactly Caleb Tanner's strength is at this point. Two years in now of playing, it, it just hasn't seemed like it quite uh, the switch quite flipped for him where he consistently made plays in any one area. I don't think the coaches are ready to give up on him. He was a guy that came in undersized that had to do a lot of, of um, work to kind of get to the point where he could play like Nebraska needed him to. So I think he's going to have a a chance to step in there and win that outside linebacker starting job. 
Um, but um, he, he's a guy that has some speed. They, the coaches kind of raved about um, the way he can run, and they, uh, I think Jovan Dewitt said he was the fastest guy they had uh, at linebacker. So he's got that speed. Um, he was known as like an athlete pass rusher type coming out of high school. He was a four-star recruit. Um, so he's got some of that ability in there. It's just I think he's got to find a way to consistently put himself in position to use that to make plays. And with Nelson, it's I think what everybody, what we talked about, kind of what we covered, what everybody knows, it's just the combination of the strength and the motor and the intensity he plays with. Um, he's able to make plays against both the run and uh, against the pass. He didn't have any sacks last year. Um, didn't really had maybe one that I could have classified as a hurry. But I, I saw a little bit of pass rushing ability uh, in the, the snaps that I did watch. So I think he does have some potential there. I think he's probably better against the run. He's got some ability to push the pocket a little bit as well. So Tanner's got a chance here with that athleticism, I think, to give them some, some things they want. But he's got to go out and grab that because I think Nelson is really going to push him. Jacob Padilla, HailVarsity.com and magazine at Jacob Padilla underscore. Jacob, will talk next week. Thanks for a few minutes. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, get the podcast downloaded. It'll be up shortly. Damon Barr will make sure that happens. Him and Joe Boo and his rum. HailVarsity.com or iTunes where you get the podcast. We are efforting Spotify. It's a 2020 plan. 2021 plan. So check that out. Great stuff from John Perella. That'll be on the on-demand ESPN, Lincoln.com. Also, the two-minute drill will be up on the SoundCloud ESPN Lincoln on Twitter. And, uh, of course, uh, we will find out what Damon Barr is doing on his Tuesday night. First, a reminder about West Blue Realty. Are you moving in 2020? West Blue specializes in home sales, residential sales in the Lincoln and surrounding community. And they'll help make 2020 a smooth move for you for a limited time. You mentioned Hale Varsity and West Blue can give you up to $1,000 off the closing of your next home purchase. Tom Luby is there to help at 402-540-3768. Kelly Hofsnyder, Kelly's awesome. Give him a shout at 402-202-2312. It pays to work with West Blue. 1120 K Street, Suite 200 is where they're located. And you have some agricultural land that you're uh, looking to move on or uh, maybe get rid of. Uh, West Blue can help with that. They are experienced. They have an auctioneer. They can handle anything from live auctions to sealed bids to general land listings. They've sold land all over the state of Nebraska. Seward Oto, Lancaster. They are there to help. So full service experience. And competitive commissions when it comes to West Blue, WestBlueRealty.com. Damon Barr, what is the plan for tonight? Well, Chris, have you ever had a spot or a room in your house that you just throw all your junk into until it accumulates? I have a drawer. It's the garage for us. So we've been cleaning out the garage all day at my house. Going to continue to do that tonight. I was hoping maybe go on a bike ride tonight, but Mm. we'll see if I'm too wore out. So question, like what type of... I mean, does it look like the uh, you know the storage container from Silence of the Lambs here? I mean, what do we got going for 
Damon Barr's garage. Is it a one-stall deal? Yeah, it's a one-stall. We got a little lazy. You're, you're, the, you're those tenants. Yeah, we're there's those you and tenants. three other bros, and there's just crap everywhere in the in the garage. Do you have a, a fridge in there? There is a fridge in there. Can you find it? Yes, you can get to the fridge. There's a little Given. path. We had to crawl a little path. <laughs> On the next episode of Hoarders, Damon and his roommates. So what what's in there? I mean, do you have mannequins? Do you have movie posters? Well, there's two old dressers that just got they they were crappy. They the drawers broke. The we just put them in there. Yeah, basically, we're starting to starting to finally put them out on the curb. Uh, lots of cardboard boxes. We got really lazy with recycling for a while. At least you um, recycle. That's yeah. not something that's in our <laughs> wheelhouse. And now we're we're moving a bunch of uh, musical instruments into the garage. So to be a garage band. Yeah. What do you play? Not me, not me. I'm the manager. <laughs> ah, I see. So what do you what do you uh, what what do your roommates play? Guitar? Uh, the, yeah, we Tuba? have the uh, guitar, bass, the keyboard and a set of drums. Ah. What's the uh what's the band name? I, I think they're still working on uh <laughs> all the logistics. Well, don't of that. go with the Jesse Pinkman band name because then I cannot promote it. <laughs> Look that one up. It's a great band name. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 4. Hail Varsity, take care.